If you read through the book of Jonah, it's only about four chapters. It doesn't take long at all. You'll see that the overarching theme, one of the things that just emanates from it is God's care. When you first look at it, you may not think so because it looks like there's a whole lot of conflict going on. But the very reason why we see so much conflict is because God just doesn't give up on people. We see him caring for Jonah. We see him caring for the sailors whenever Jonah tries to run from God. And then we see his care for the Ninevites. Now the word Jonah, the name Jonah, it means dove. And it's a nickname for someone who reads the Bible a lot, for a Bible scholar. And it uh, came from the sound that an old man would make as an old Hebrew man would sit with his prayer shawl on and he would read the Torah out loud to himself. And his voice would sound like the cooing of a dove. So we gather from that that Jonah was a Bible bookworm. But just because he loved to study the Bible didn't mean that he had a really right relationship with God. And one of the main themes that we see in Jonah is God's love and patience with Jonah. At the beginning, he calls Jonah and Jonah runs. Why? Well, because it comes clear as we read through the story of Jonah that Jonah hates Ninevites. If Indiana Jones had a t-shirt, it would say, I hate snakes. If Jonah had a t-shirt like that, it'd say, I hate Ninevites. If Jonah, well, the problem is that God loved the Ninevites and they were going to perish eternally if they didn't repent. And so in in Jonah's divine, in God's divine plan in working all things together for good, he sent Jonah to get the Ninevites to repent. God sent Jonah because he needed to learn to love the Ninevites because they were people that God loved. And God doesn't like it when people he loves don't love people he loves. You see, this is a major theme. It just shouts throughout the book of Jonah. God loves people. Even while Jonah is running, God uses Jonah to bring the sailors in the boat he was on into his kingdom. It's just amazing the way that God can use us, even whenever we're trying to get away from him, to bring about the good that he wants. Even while he's running. In fact, Jonah is used by God so amazingly in this time as that it becomes a model of what Jesus did for us. And later on, 
Jesus is going to use Jonah as an example of what he is about to do for humankind. In Luke 11.30, it's one of the four places in the Gospels that Jonah is mentioned. It says, For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to his generation. Through the casting of lots, you see, God had revealed that Jonah was the problem, why there was a a big storm brewing and about to capsize the boat that Jonah was running away on. And so the sailors all look at Jonah and they say, what did you do to anger your God so? You need to do something about that. And so he tells them to cast him overboard and that if they will do that, then everything will be okay. Now, you see what he's doing here? He volunteers to sacrifice himself so the rest can be saved. Does that sound familiar? Now, whenever Jesus volunteered to do that, he wasn't running from God. He was trying to get home to God. But here we see a type of Jesus in Jonah, even while Jonah is trying to avoid doing God's will. Reluctantly, the uh, sailors do what Jonah told them to do. But while they're doing it, they ask God, the one true God, not to hold this sin of casting Jonah into the the sea against them. Does that reminiscent of anything? Remember Jesus on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And after he's thrown in the sea, the storm stops. Just like the storm of sin stops in our lives whenever we embrace what Jesus did for us on the cross. They have been saved because they sacrificed Jonah. And then immediately he's swallowed up by a big fish and he spends the next three days underwater in the ocean. And then all of a sudden, after three days, a fish, the fish throws him up onto dry land. You see, the sight of Jonah was more than just Jesus being in the tomb for three days. It also includes the sacrifice of a man who has been identified as a sinner by God himself and salvation coming through that sacrifice. Now, the New Testament has two passages that just really uh, jumped into my heart as I saw this in the in the book of Jonah. The first is obviously John 3.16. So say that one along with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves the world. And he wants everybody in this world to be saved through his son.
The second New Testament passage that leaps from uh, the pages of the Old Testament here is 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Now, here in the third chapter of Jonah, God calls Jonah a second time. You see the patience there. Jonah has run, and now then he's been delivered to Nineveh uh, by this fish, and God taps him on the shoulder again. Even after he's tried his best to get away, God sends him to Nineveh, the city that was so bad that God was about to wipe them out just like he did Sodom and Gomorrah because of their evil. And yet God wanted to spare them if there was any way. This time, Jonah goes and obediently preaches. I don't know how obediently he went, but he walked. It took him three days to walk across Nineveh saying, in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. In 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. I don't get the impression, I don't know, he may have been joyful about it. Maybe that's what got the Ninevites' attention was how uh, joyful this uh, Ninevite hater was in announcing that in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. We don't know which way it went, but uh, somehow God used Jonah. And this time, he goes, he preaches, and in verse 5 we read, So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. And then we see the happy result in verse 10. And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did not. It was 150 years before Nineveh drifted back into sinfulness again. Yeah, I said at the beginning that the first thing that we see in this story is the overarching message that God cares about people. Look at all the trouble he went through with Jonah. Look at all the trouble he went through for those sailors. They needed to hear about the one true God. They were there on that boat praying to all their different gods. But in the end, they recognized Jehovah as the one true God and offered sacrifices to him. And look at all the trouble he took to reach the Ninevites. It's pretty clear from this book and all the rest of the Bible that people are really important to God. I mean, that's one of the things that's just underscored over and over again. And that brings us now to you, to you 
right where you are sitting here at this time. Let me tell you a little bit about yourself. Hopefully you know this about yourself. First of all, you are not an accident. Your birth was no mistake or mishap, and your life is no fluke of nature. Your parents may not have planned you, but God did. He was not at all surprised at your birth. In fact, he expected it. Long before you were conceived by your parents, you were conceived in the heart of God. It is not fate, nor chance, nor luck, nor coincidence that you are breathing at this very moment. You are alive because God wanted to create you, the real you, not who you're trying to imitate or copy, but you. The Bible says the Lord will fill his will fulfill his purpose for me. God prescribed every single detail of your body. And if you don't like your body, you need to get over it because God made it just exactly the way that he wanted it to be. He deliberately chose your race, the color of your skin, your hair. Even if you're having a bad hair day, he chose that hair just for you and every other feature. He custom made your body just the way that he wanted it to be. He also determined the natural talents that you would possess and the uniqueness of your personality. The Bible says, you know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made. Bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. Because God made you for a reason, He also decided when you would be born and how long you would live. He planned the days of your life in advance, choosing the exact time of your birth and death. The Bible says, You saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. God also planned where you would be born and where you'd live for his purpose. Your race and nationality are not an accident. God left no detail to chance. He planned it all for his purpose. The Bible says, from one man, he made every nation and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. Nothing in your life is arbitrary. It's all for a purpose. Most amazingly, God decided how you would be born 
regardless of the circumstances of your birth or who your parents are, God had a plan in creating you. It doesn't matter whether your parents were good or bad or indifferent. God knew that those two individuals possessed exactly the right genetic makeup to create the uh, custom you that he had in mind. They had the DNA God wanted to use to make you. And while there are illegitimate parents, there are no illegitimate children. Many children are unplanned by their parents but they are not unplanned by God. God's purpose took into account human error and even sin. God never does anything accidentally, and he never makes mistakes. He has a reason for everything he creates. He has a reason for you. Every plant, every animal was planned by God and every person was designed with a purpose in mind. God's motive for creating you was his love. The Bible says long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love. God was thinking of you before he ever made this world that he put you in. In fact, that's why he created it. God designed this planet's environment. Scientists are confirming this over and over again. He designed this planet's environment just so that we could live in it. We are the focus of his love and the most valuable of all his creation. The Bible says God decided to give us life through the word of truth so we might be the most important of all the things that he has made. Now, that's a little bit about you. Mark Twain said, the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. Both of those days are very important to God. He needed you to be you right now where you are. Now, the answer to why you were born is something that a lot of people struggle with, and they approach it in a lot of different ways. Uh, most of them are looking for that one big thing. They're looking, some of them even cast about, say, what should my great dream be? Others, uh, they think that uh, they are here for to fulfill their own idea of their success. Now, if you are one of those who have struggled with this, I think what I share next will help you. Because one of the things that is answered very clearly in the story of Jonah is why you were born. It's right there in verse 10, where it's talking about the Ninevites. These people who were so far from God that God was getting ready just to wipe them off the face of the earth. 
It says they believed God. That is what God was wanting. Not all the different ways that they were going on their own. They believed God. It doesn't say they believed Jonah. He was the mouthpiece, but it says they believed God. It doesn't say they believed in God. It says they believed God. That's it in a nutshell. Jonah winds up being a tremendous negative example of this. He believed, obviously, in the existence of God. He heard God's voice. He knew God's character. And it's because he knew God's character that he ran from God. Not because God was vengeful, but because he knew that God was a God of grace and mercy, that if he was given the chance, he would repent of destroying them. And if the Ninevites got word of what God was going to do, they would change their ways. They would change, it would change their hearts. And Jonah was so bad, he didn't want that. Remember, he hates Ninevites. The only good Ninevite was a dead Ninevite. And he wanted just to send them all to hell. That was his attitude. And yet he's a Bible scholar. Now, the thing is, uh, he wanted to be like those supermarket Christians that you see today who want to pick and choose what they're going to accept about God and what they're going to reject about God and what they're going to reject and accept from his word. But you see, God created you to be his and your purpose. Now, listen closely to this. Your purpose is to be the best you for him that you can be right now. Not a year from now, not projecting goals as to where you're going to go. But when you get up to walk out this door this morning, that is when he wants you to be fulfilling your purpose as to why you were put on the face of this earth is to be the best you for him. No, that's not just the best you in your own idea, the best you for him that you can be. Many people spend their whole lives looking for that big thing when what the Lord wants from us and why he put us here is for us to look for what he has for us in this moment right now. He wants you to believe him. He wants you to trust him, to be faithful to him, to fellowship with him to lean on him, to cooperate with him, to obey him, to follow him, to love him, to receive from him, to give to him, to glorify him, to worship him with your very life, moment by moment. Now, Joseph is a really good example of this, isn't he? First, he was Jacob's favorite son, and then he was betrayed. 
Then he was sold into slavery. Then he was purchased by Potiphar. Then he rose in Potiphar's house. Then he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. Then he was thrown in prison. Then he met the baker and the butler in prison. Then the butler just forgot about him. Then he stood before Pharaoh. Then he became prime minister of Egypt. Then he meets his brothers again after a long time. And as they are scared to death of what is going to happen to them, he says, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. And that sums up his whole attitude all the way through all of this. You see, no matter where he was, he was God's. He fulfilled his purpose in Potiphar's house as a servant. He fulfilled his purpose uh, in uh, uh, Pharaoh's court all the way up and down. And then he gave his family a home in Egypt. And all of that ended up saving his family and preserving the line of God's promise. God had plans and purposes for Joseph, yes, They had ups and downs. He has plans and purposes for you. And they have ups and downs. Joseph lived out of the statement that Paul made in Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. I'll close with this example. April the 5th, 2013 was the worst day in Rick Warren's life. He and his wife Kay sensed that something was not quite right. Their 27-year-old son Matthew had suffered from mental illness all of his life. As Rick would later say, he and Kay had done all that they could to help their son, including seeking help from the best medical experts and the best therapists that they could find. When they went to Matthew's apartment that day, they found it locked. No one came to the door when they knocked. And fearing the worst, they called the police who entered the apartment and confirmed their fears. Their son, whom they loved so much, had taken his own life. After his son's suicide, Rick stayed out of the pulpit for almost four months, returning on the weekend of July the 27th and 28th. Because he was so well known, that event garnered huge media coverage. And Rick and Kay both spoke to Saddleback's congregation, thanking them for their love and their support. In trying to explain how his Christian faith helped him through this tragedy, Rick said, God knows what it's like to lose a son. And then he added, when you go through a difficult time, you automatically start to try and find an answer. But explanations 
never comfort. You don't need explanations. You need the presence of God. When Elizabeth Diaz, a reporter, filed her report for Time magazine, she ended her article with these words. Then, as the service closed, Rick joined the worship team in singing a favorite evangelical hymn, Blessed Be Your Name. He lifted his Bible high above his head and declared boldly to the God he serves, 